I am Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. We are still in West Virginia this week, and I just wanted to let people know out there that if you are bored, because you're probably stuck in your house like the rest of us are, or you have to work, which is even worse, you can now take virtual tours of both the Winchester Mystery House and the Paris Catacombs. Ooh, that's yeah. super cool. So I think that's pretty neat. So if you're bored and at home and want to go somewhere, but you can't, you can go to the Winchester Mystery House and the Paris Catacombs. I think I might go back to the Winchester Mystery House virtually. Have I went, you been there? Yeah, I went there maybe, oh goodness, at this point, probably like 10, 14 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm sure things have changed, obviously, but... Well, I mean, she can't build the house anymore, but... Uh... <laughs> well, the funniest thing is, so Sarah Winchester was a very petite woman. She was about five feet tall, very tiny. And the friend that I was going to the house with is also one of my very tiny friends. Like, she's just at, like, five feet tall. Okay, and you're a taller woman. Yes, yeah, so... and I'm a taller woman, so it was kind of like Mutt and Jeff walking around this, like, <laughs> house. But the funniest thing is, like, our tour guide was like, and she was a very tiny woman, as you can tell from these, how all the railings are so low to the ground. And she, like, points to this probably, like, 10-year-old boy. She's like, she was about... And then sees my friend and like turns and goes, no, she was about her height. So of course my friends is like, oh yeah, let me demonstrate. This is the perfect height. Everything <laughs> in this house is the perfect height. <laughs> that is great. I need to bring tiny friends there then if I go. So West Virginia, I do have a couple of fun laws that are uniquely West Virginian apparently. All right. Do tell. I love weird laws. There are so many in so many states. It's so true. It's so true. So in West Virginia, it is prohibited to whistle while underwater. Can you whistle underwater? I don't I've know. I've never tried. But I'm not sure why they need this law, but okay. <laughs> I can barely whistle when I'm not underwater. So oh, I'm actually a pretty decent whistler. Oh, I can I can make a sound sometimes, but it's never going to be in any sort of tune. And then people are like, well, you can sing. Why can't you whistle? I'm like, because it doesn't work that way. Oh, yeah. I can whistle most tunes and, and such. I, can, I'm, I had to teach myself like to snap my fingers, but I could always whistle. Oh, I had to teach myself to snap my fingers, too. Mm-hmm. You did like the lick your finger thing and then try. Yeah. I'm like, this is a worker. Yeah. So also in West Virginia, if a railroad passes within one mile of a community of 100 or more people, it has to stop at a station and regularly pick up passengers. Okay. That sounded like it was (laughs) going to be a weird math problem for a minute. (laughs) If you're traveling through West Virginia and (laughs) it's also legal to take roadkill home for consumption. Well, that just should be a rule everywhere because it's kind of gross. I mean, fair. But in West Virginia, I guess there is an annual roadkill festival in Marlington. That that sounds a little West Virginian. So, so it's yeah. Yeah, time-honored pastime? That's interesting. All right. Uh, a person may not hold public office if he or she has ever participated in a duel. All right. Well, founding fathers, if you hear that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for each act of public swearing, a person can be fined $1. So it's like a swear jar for the whole whole state. Yeah. State. Yeah. yeah. This reminds me of Demolition Man where like you I swear and that. things come out of the wall. I just watched it again with my wife because she had never seen it. Oh, and yeah. because of the whole coronavirus toilet paper hoarding. Oh, yeah. Because we just talked about this. Yeah. And it pops up because they have the three seashells in that movie. And it's, you know, memes. That's right. The seashells. Memes. And this one's also very relevant to what we were talking about earlier, Eden. Tiger King? Yes. Okay. One may not walk a lion, tiger, or leopard, even on a leash. Okay. So exotic pet owners in West Virginia, if you go to the city of Alderson, you cannot walk your tiger anywhere. Damn it. 
someone tell Carol Baskin? I mean, she doesn't <laughs> care. She killed her husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's some of the wacky laws in West Virginia. That's nuts. Okay. Yeah. Very, very interesting. That's all I got. Okay. I have nothing on West Virginia other than that I had a friend that was from there. And whenever she would do something weird, she'd suddenly take on a southern accent and say, well, I am from West Virginia. Oh, goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll start my uh, true crime story then. Please do. All right. Our stop today is in Quiet Dell, West Virginia. Located just five miles southeast of Clarksburg in central West Virginia, Quiet Dell is a small rural community at the junction of Interstate 79 and West Virginia Route 20. It's hard to believe that this lovely bucolic community was once the scene of several gruesome murders and that the perpetrator would become one of the first men in modern history to be labeled a serial killer. Oh, wow. Okay. So join me for the tale of Harry Powers, a.k.a. the Bluebeard of Quiet Dell, West Virginia. Ooh, Bluebeard. For those of you that don't get the Bluebeard reference, Bluebeard was known for killing his wives. Yep. Classic French fairy tale, I guess. I think so. Yeah. It's very... uh, gruesome where it's like he marries a always marries a young girl mm-hmm. and then they die or disappear and it turns out he's murdering them he's carol baskins <gasps> wow dun, dun, it all dun. just comes it, back to her full fucking tiger colored circle <laughs> so harry powers was born november 17th 1893 as herman drenth in Birta, netherlands since he used several pseudonyms throughout his life, I'll be referring to him as Harry Powers for most of the story, since that's the name he used the most, and it's also easier to say than his birth name. My my next uh, story, my true crime one, um, is the same way. This guy had a different name. Tons of aliases. Not tons. Oh, this he, guy had He tons. wasn't Harry Petter Rasmussen. So. <laughs> this guy is very much like Rasmussen. He's like so many aliases he oh, used no. to commit crimes that it's actually kind of hard to figure out exactly what he did. Oh, I think I might know this story. Not know it, but have like heard of it and thought about doing it at one point. So It is pretty famous. It actually inspired um, the m- book and movie Night of the Hunter, which is like oh, a yeah. Robert okay. Mitchell movie. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think there was also, if it's the one I'm thinking of, there was a Forensic Files one on it too. And because um, I remember being like, well, he used this different name for this and different name for this. And he stole all this money and did this. And yeah, like, <laughs> so. So. Not much is known about Powers' childhood other than that his family migrated to Cedar Rapids, Iowa in 1910. As a teenager and a young man in Iowa, Powers was arrested several times for petty theft, stealing a car, and burglary. He ended up serving at least a year in prison. This may have been when he hit upon a new criminal scheme, writing charming and flirty letters to lonely ladies who posted in the Lonely Hearts section of the local newspaper. Oh, so we've got another, uh, what was his name? Ray Fernandez. Ray Fernandez, thank you. Yeah, much like Ray Fernandez, uh, who we discussed in my New York true crime. Yes. uh, Powers realized that he could really easily... Jared Leto. Oh, Jared Leto. (laughs) He could really easily gain women's trust and use that trust to gain access to their money and valuables. So at first, he convinces women to send him money. And this is while he's in prison, basically. Uh, He eventually gets out of prison and he starts asking these women to meet him face to face. Since he used so many aliases, like I mentioned before, it's really hard to know exactly how many women he bilked out of their money. Okay. I was able to find at least one incident. And I think he may have gotten into trouble for this before he skipped town in Iowa. Using the name Joe Gildall, he married one of the wealthier women he was writing to in 1924. Shortly afterwards, he drugged her, 
stole all the valuables from her house, emptied her bank account, and then fled Iowa. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Going big. Looking to reinvent himself, Powers moves to Clarksburg, West Virginia in 1926. He keeps up his lonely heart swindle, and he also took a job working as a traveling salesman for a vacuum cleaning company. So basically, it provides this perfect cover for him to take these trips around the country to visit his targets. What year was this? Uh, 1926. Okay, I was about to say, we don't have traveling salesmen anymore. No. So, um, But this is kind of like the heyday, right? You're not even allowed to sell stuff door-to-door for fundraisers anymore. <laughs> no solicitation. Soon, he meets a local woman in Clarksburg named Luella Strothers through his Lonely Hearts scheme. Luella's a wealthy widow, and she owns a grocery store in Clarksburg and a small farm about five miles away in Quiet Dell. Now, she was absolutely taken by the charming and romantic powers. After a short courtship, the two married in 1927. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me that he decided to stay with Luella for as long as he did. I think it mostly has to do with the fact that she had a super stable income from her grocery store. Yeah. And it was kind of the perfect fit for powers because he could still continue his Lonely Heart scheme while the couple settled into a quiet married life on Luella's farm in Quiet Dell. It was on the farm that Powers first notices the abandoned foundation of Luella's childhood home. After a few months, he persuades his wife to let him use the foundation to build a garage slash workshop so he could tinker in his spare time. God, I wonder what else he's going to do in there. I guess you'll tell me, but... You'll find out. I already have thoughts forming in my head. (laughs) So Luella agrees, and Powers sets to work. He erects this windowless barn-like garage with a basement behind their house. Yeah, not at all a foreshadowing not, of what's to come. Not at all suspicious. Yep. Who needs windows? Not, not Powers. Nope. Despite enjoying a comfortable life secured by his new wife's wealth, Powers maintains a post office box in Clarksburg under the name of Cornelius O. Pearson, which is the primary alias that he uses for his Lonely Heart schemes after 1927. So he also starts taking out his own Lonely Hearts ad, saying that he's a successful church-going civil engineer who's looking to find a like-minded woman to share his life with. So now he's working this both ways. Yep, yep. Smart, but shady. Yeah, smart, but shady. Uh, And apparently his ad was specifically designed to lure in wealthy, lonely women, and it worked. He received 10 to 20 letters daily from hopeful ladies looking for love. Oh, God. Yeah, so he was like, in it to win it. Volume. In his letters back to these women, he showered them with flowery and romantic compliments, as well as a ton of lies about himself. Once he won a woman over in his letters, he would ask if the woman would like to meet in person. One woman who took him up on this offer was Esta Escher, a widowed mother of three children from the Chicago suburb of Park Ridge, Illinois. Okay, I don't want to say her name five times fast. No, it's very, uh, I believe she was from Denmark. So. Oh, Okay. Writing as Cornelius Pearson, Powers arranged to meet Esta and her three children, 14-year-old Greta, 12-year-old Harry, and 9-year-old Annabelle at her home. On June 23, 1931, Powers arrives at Esta's doorstep with a large bouquet of flowers and a charming smile. Esta's completely won over by Powers and agrees to marry him. He convinces her to accompany him back to West Virginia under the pretense of looking for a new house that was big enough to house them and the children after their wedding. He's still married to the other woman, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, leaving her children in the care of a family friend, Esta left with Powers. This was the last time anyone would see her alive. Great. Not that I didn't really see that coming, but you know. Five days later, 
the family friend receives a letter from Esta stating that she would be staying in West Virginia and that her fiancé, Pearson, a.k.a. Powers, would come collect the children. And a week later, Powers arrived to take the children back to West Virginia. Now, before leaving Park Ridge, he sent Greta to Esta's bank with a note signed by Esta approving the withdrawal of her bank account's entire balance. However, the teller... Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that's interesting. However, the teller who was on duty refused to fulfill the request because the signature on the note that Greta had didn't match the signature on file for the account. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. When Greta returned empty-handed, Powers quickly packed the children into the car. The family friend watched and offered to pack some of the children's clothing for the journey, but Powers declined, saying, oh no, I'll get them new outfits on the road. Hmm. Not sketchy at all. Mm -mm. Ten days after that, Powers returns alone to Estes' house in Park Ridge again. He begins to empty the house of valuables and moves most of the furniture into the garage for storage. When confronted by concerned neighbors, Powers says that he and Esther are now married and that he's clearing out her house per her instructions and that the family was going on an extended trip to Europe. After two months, worried friends of Esther contact the Park Ridge police to report her and her children as missing. All right. Meanwhile. 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 Powers persuades another lonely widow to meet him. Her name was Dorothy Lemke, and Powers arranged to meet her at her home in Northborough, Massachusetts, which is right outside Worcester. Okay. I've heard of that at least. Yes. Uh, When Powers proposed marriage, Lemke agreed. He told her that they would be wed in his home city of Cedar Rapids and then asked her to close her local bank account before they made the trip. Dorothy withdrew $4,000, which is about $64,000 in today's money. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A big chunk of change and hopped on the train with Powers. However, she didn't notice that instead of sending her trunks to Iowa, he sent them to Fairmount, West Virginia. Suspicious. Yeah. After a few weeks, Dorothy's concerned family notified police of her disappearance with a man named Cornelius Pearson. There's someone that started working at my... Um, work whose name is Cornelius and I kind of giggled the first time I heard his name <laughs> just because I've never met anyone actually named Cornelius. That's fair. That's fair. And this person hasn't either because his name isn't Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have any of these ladies. <laughs> <laughs> the Park Ridge police who were still investigating the disappearance of uh, Esta and her children secured a search warrant for her house in August of 1931. Hidden among the furniture in the garage they found love letters from Cornelius Pearson's with a postmark from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Wait, who found this? Uh, the police in Park Park Ridge, Illinois. Oh, okay. So the Park Ridge police contact the local Clarksburg authorities to help locate this Cornelius Pearson's guy to find out what happened to Esther and her kids. The local police investigate, and that leads them to the Clarksburg's post office, where an employee is able to give a description of the man who collects mail addressed to Cornelius Pearson. This description leads the police to Harry Powers. Ooh. Now, the local sheriff goes to Powers' house and arrests him on suspicion of Esta's disappearance. He also serves a search warrant to Luella for her farm. The police find letters from at least five different women in Powers' pockets when he's arrested, as well as hundreds of letters hidden in the trunk of his automobile. Oh, great. Yeah, he had a huge scheme running. That's, yeah. Wow, he's really good at this then. Yeah, yeah, really good at this. But the truly gruesome discovery waited for the police in Powers' garage. Surprise. The shady, shady, the shady fucking shady garage. garage. <laughs> now, 
when the police investigated and went into the garage, they found that it was divided into four small cell-like rooms, each with pipes in the walls for pumping in gas. Oh, no. Yeah. Very gas chambery like Great. The police then find multiple bloodstains on the floors and walls of the cells, as well as a bloody child-sized footprint. Oh, man. Child-sized? Mm-hmm. Oh. In one of the cells, a noose was hanging above a trap door that led to the basement. No. Yes. I don't know how to respond to that. Yes. <laughs> in the damp basement, they discovered a pile of clothing that was bloody and in various sizes, uh, women's jewelry, a half-burned bank book belonging to Esther Escher, and okay. a bloody hammer. Great. Mm-hmm. Next to the garage, the police also noticed a freshly dug drainage ditch. They began to excavate it and f- quickly found the bodies of Dorothy Lemke, Esther Etcher, and all three of her children. Bound oh, my t- God. All the bodies were bound tightly in burlap sacks. Oh, okay. Now, a warning for our more sensitive listeners. The next bit will be a bit graphic. Okay, because that part wasn't bad enough. Nope. Hit me. I'm here, you know what the people come here for, Eden? Let's be real. <laughs> that's, that's true. Blood and gore. Blood and gore. Y'all are freaks, but I love you. <laughs> Powers had bound his victim's hands with rope that matched the noose in the garage. He had strangled Esta, 14-year-old Greta, and 9-year-old Annabelle with rope nooses, and then bludgeoned 12-year-old Harry Escher to death with the hammer. Okay, great, fine. He then strangled Dorothy Lemke with a belt, which was found still around her neck. Powers was taken to the local jail and questioned. He confessed to the five killings. According to one source, Powers told police investigators, quote, I was permitting little Harry Escher to watch the killing of his mother and the others, but in the middle of it, he let out an awful scream. Gee, I wonder why. I was afraid the neighbors would hear it, so I picked up a hammer and let him have it. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Horrific. See, and see, I hate the word bludgeoned. I mean, I love the word bludgeoned because it's a fun word to say, but I just hate the, you know, what it is. (laughs) Yeah. It just doesn't sound like a fun way of dying. No, no. I mean, not many forms of dying sound that fun, to be honest. But but it does sound particularly disturbing. Yes, exactly. So Powers brought Dorothy to the garage a couple of days after killing the family. In some I'm accounts... I'm imagining that she's B. Arthur in my head, just like, so you know. Dorothy! <laughs> <laughs> um, so he brings her there... A Picture cu- it. This guy's windowless garage. <laughs> Picture I know it. This that guy's was, I know that was Sophia, but still. Oh, that does work. That's disturbing. <laughs> So Powers, uh, and some some of the articles I read, they said that he brought Dorothy there only a couple days after the family. Some said he did it like the very next day after oh, he killed, okay. killed the Escher family. He tortured her for a couple hours, then forced Dorothy to sign checks before strangling her to death. Oh, God. Yeah, so he's kind of this sadist, and he also is in it for the money. Would a check signed under duress actually even look like your signature? I mean, I, it depends, I guess. It depends on how that person is. Yeah, know. if they're like really calm about it. I mean, because yeah, I'd I mean, just be like, writing all over the page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at, after his arrest, the police circulated his fingerprints and photo. And Powers was identified as a suspect in the 1928 disappearance of Dudley C. Wade, a fellow vacuum cleaner salesman that he had worked with. And the disappearance of a woman from Morris, Illinois. Oh my God. When the police questioned him about these disappearances, as well as the collection of items found in the garage that they weren't able to identify as belonging to the Eschers or Dorothy Lemke, 
Powers reportedly said, quote, you got me on five. What good would 50 more do? Oh, shit. Why am I even surprised anymore? But I know what this podcast is. We do this every week. But, ah, <laughs> uh, okay, whatever. Keep going. Right? It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? So, of course, just like your reaction, this statement sparks a fury of, like, horror and speculation among the authorities and press agencies across the country about just how many people Harry Powers had really murdered. Oh, God. So he was considered a suspect in the disappearance or murder of at least a dozen different people in as many states. And newspapers nationwide started publishing details in depth about his confession and trial. So I already mentioned how Quietdale is a pretty small community. And then Clarksburg itself is actually a relatively small city. So this was like devastating front page news in this community. Um, The locals were super infuriated and outraged by Powers' behavior because they viewed him as basically this guy who came to their quiet town and was just a monster. Yeah. So they were so horrified that there was a monster in their midst that they ended up forming a lynch mob to take Powers from the local jail on September 21st, 1931. If they made a Lifetime movie out of it, it would be called A Monster in Their Midst. It would, right? Yes. Well, they didn't quite succeed. The crowd was quickly dispersed with tear grass and fire hoses. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And the police moved him to the more secure state penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia, to await his trial. Tear gas and fire hoses always get me down. Easy there, Karen. It's, it's, it's not as catchy as the original. <laughs> With so much community and media interest in the trial, this forced authorities to move the trial from the courthouse to the local opera house to accommodate all the spectators. Which is such a weird thought. It's like... It was an opera house. Yeah, it was an opera house one. Like, okay. And also, it's like, you basically have the court on stage in this opera house. Like, That's how bizarre. really crazy. It seems like it's going to turn into an episode of Cop Rock. <laughs> And that's not good for anyone because Cop Rock was the worst show ever. If you don't know what it is, look it up. It is terrible. It only lasted like one season, I think. And when was that? Probably like the early 90s. Oh, yeah. I know it's on YouTube. You can see clips and they're... It's bad. Yeah. I've only ever seen like two episodes of it in my life and it was terrible. <laughs> so they're on the Cop Rock stage. <laughs> And the trial lasts for about five days, and it includes testimony from Powers, who recants his confession. I'm also imagining uh, what's what's her name uh, from from like the Wagner um, stuff, Brunhilda. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like imagining that she's like there, like asking them questions. He didn't do it. Yeah. He didn't do <laughs> exactly. it. Yeah. So that is what Powers says. He's like, I didn't do it. They they beat the confession out of me, and there is like photographic evidence that when he got to jail he got pretty roughed up oh shit so if you like google harry powers west virginia some of the google images will be like this guy with like wonky eyes and it's because his one eye is like swollen shut from a black guy yeah it's pretty fucked up can't be as bad as that neck guy you remember him the neck guy the guy who was like a mugshot of this guy with this huge neck it was like this gigantic fucking neck (laughs) (laughs) like his neck needed its own zip code yes it was it was all over facebook Uh, i'll I'll find it for you when we go on our break all right fair enough i'm excited about that in a weird way anyway uh they also had lots of other witnesses from clarksburg and also illinois who testified against powers now due to all of the overwhelming witness testimony and the evidence they found at powers farm in quietdale he was quickly convicted and sentenced to death on december 12th 1931 he was Hanged three months later. Oh, shit. Okay. 
Uh, in the end, we will never know how many people he killed. Uh, they, My guess is a shit ton. Yeah, probably a shit ton. It seemed like he was in a rush to dispose of the bodies on his farm. Um, so there's lots of speculation that there's so many different belongings that he, if he was like, you know, killing people that he would go meet, he may have killed them along the road and just took the valuables yeah. with him. Um, so kind of terrifying. Nobody knows how many people he killed. And uh, yeah, apparently this blue beard of quiet Dell was labeled and that's what they called him in the newspapers yeah. like i found one from like camden new jersey talking about the serial murderer oh like camden has any room to talk <laughs> it, was, it was a nice place sort of in the 30s possibly um but yeah so it's kind of kind of crazy yeah that's nuts serial killers wow nuts huh nuts very nuts uh, I think the other thing that was kind of interesting to me, and I highly recommend that folks, if you're interested, like Google an image of him. He does not look the part. He's like really? this kind of like pudgy, like... Wait, what's his name again? Harry Powers. I always forget the first name. I remember the Powers part. Harry Powers, West Virginia. Just Google that. And he has like these like terrible like 20s, like round glasses. He's kind of chubby. Not very attractive. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, he's kind of like, this is the guy. Like, and I guess he must have had, like, a wonderful ability to, like, flirt in letters because if that guy showed up, I'd be well, like, I mean, Ooh. it's a black and white photo, but I'm assuming his eyes were blue because they're, like, very mm-hmm. prominent in this photo. So he probably had nice eyes, and that can go a long way for people. Yeah, I guess. They're not so nice in that other photo where he's all beat up, but because <laughs> I see that one, too. Yeah, well, when we update our website, we'll throw some pictures up there of Harry so you can oh, enjoy wow. his all face his face like really swollen. Yeah, very swollen. Um, it was funny. Some of the autofills were like, what's wrong with Harry Power's eyes? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he got beaten. I always love autofill. I love when they know what I'm talking about. Like when I had to think about, since watching um, Tiger King, mm-hmm. I had to think about what was the weirdest documentary that I saw before this, which was Abducted in Plain Sight. And I couldn't remember the name of Abducted in Plain Sight, so I (laughs) typed in Alien Abduction Child Rape Documentary. And it's like, boop, boop, are you looking for Abducted in Plain Sight? (laughs) Exactly. I was like, what? You know what I'm talking about. This is awesome. Finally learning. So, Eden, thoughts? Well, I feel like you have several. I have a lot of of feelings about this. Um... (laughs) I don't know that I can word them all because all my words have been taken after watching Tiger King. Uh, <laughs> I think he is just as bad as Carol Baskin. <laughs> if not worse. If not worse. Exactly. Um, he didn't feed anybody to tigers, though. So, I mean, we don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, the second he was like, hey, can I build this garage without any windows or whatever room without right. any windows? You should have been like well what are you planning on doing in there and that's the interesting part i guess like initially the cops like looked at luella as like an accomplice yeah and she didn't had no idea How do you not know though i guess well i mean i guess he was just that charming Good. yeah like he was just like you know oh i'm a traveling salesman honey i have to go away and blah 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 that's true and i have a feeling he probably told her like oh i store inventory in the in the in the garage you can get blah, away blah, with blah. a ton of shit if you're a traveling salesman yeah so i'm glad that it doesn't exist anymore yeah for real plus i mean i'm sure she was a busy lady like she was running a business like yeah true i don't know I Wait, feel... he killed her too right no she survived she was actually a widow as well so oh. it's like this is her second husband like she's a little bit older she's kind of like whatever looking for companionship but yeah she quickly like divorced his ass oh i as would soon too. as he was arrested and was like i'm done with you you're terrible see i can forgive a lot of shit 
being in a relationship with someone, I could not forgive that. No, nope. nope. no, murdering way in people hell. in your backyard. No, definitely I mean, deal breaker. I did the whole thing when I was married, being like, well, he might not be nice to other people, but he's nice to me, so it's okay. It's still not okay. No, it's not okay. No. Mm-mm. All right. Well, my sources for this week's episode were pretty robust, which I was very excited about. Uh, of course, I started off on Wikipedia because who doesn't? Uh, I also use criminallyintrigued.com, wvculture.com, wvexplorer.com, appalachiatalk.org, herherald.com, onlyinyourstate.com, and then a bunch of articles from the Clarksburg Telegram, Time Magazine, Wayne County News, and the Chicago Tribune. Holy shit, you had a lot of sources this week. Yeah. I had a lot too. It but. was it was a huge, huge like thing when it happened in the thirties. Yeah. Like lots of lots of articles. Well, see the thing is, even if I use like one sentence, I'll still credit it as one of my sources because it still is that sentence that I used. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's like still a, and a lot of the stuff you're just like, I'm looking for more. And you look and look and look and it's all just like this is the same thing, just worded slightly differently. Thank you yeah. very much. So much plagiarism on the internet. Yes. <laughs> So there is one thing that I want to tell you before we take our break. All right. Lay it on me. I was watching Forensic Files the other night before bed. And I think I told you that I was watching Forensic Files the other night yeah, before bed. Yeah. And I was like, why before bed? Because that's what I do. <laughs> I, I watch murder before bed. Um, anyway, it lulls me to sleep. <laughs> the sweet sounds of a mass spectrometer really helped me. Um, anyway. I finally watched the um, the murder mystery weekend one. Oh yeah, yeah, which is you know our Kim, good friend Kim, Kim Kim Rico, yeah, Kim Rico, yeah, and oh, you did a better job of telling the story than Forensic Files did. Oh, thank you. Thank I mean, you. because they were very serious the whole time. Well, sometimes they get comedic, sometimes they do. But I feel like it's accidental. Yes, a exactly. Bit. Uh, no, some of their titles are just god awful dad jokes, which is amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I finally watched that one, and it was really good. Loved it. But I still think that you did a better job telling the story. But no, they had like some good information on there. I also watched several other ones because I was looking for my Virginia story. Because mm-hmm. um, I had one that wasn't on Forensic Files, one that was on Forensic Files. And then I accidentally stumbled across another one that was on Forensic Files. Well, you did. You did tell me like you had a couple really good options and you're trying to pick between them. Yeah. So then I watched the two that were on Forensic Files and was like, I like both these stories, but I don't think they're right for our podcast. And I decided on the other one, which was more work for me because I couldn't sit there and sort of enjoy myself while doing my notes. Oh, Roadsters. That's how much Eden loves you. He wants you to have the best story possible. I do. I wanted to have the best story possible. And dear God. God, was it annoying to get through. So tough to pick out a timeline. And I'm a big stickler for I need to know that this happened at this time so I can have things in order. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, thanks for sticking it. Sticking to it. Sticking to it. Sticking to it. Speaking of sticking to it. We're going to stick to that break. We're going to stick to our schedule and take a quick break. And then we'll be right back with Eden's West Virginia paranormal story. Cool, because I do have road snacks for you this week. <gasps> Stay! Homemade road snacks. Snacks. And we're back. We're back. Eden had some delicious, delicious snacks for me. I did. Homemade chocolate chip cookies and lemon cupcakes. Mm-hmm. I love all the baking going on. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone's baking because it's, you know, everyone's locked in their house. I know. I'm excited to try some scones that a friend sent me an awesome oh, recipe I love for. Scones. I'm like, ooh, or scones. Scones. Who says scones? Pretty much everybody outside of America. Really? <laughs> yes. Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. 
I mean, even I think of scones when I think of England, but don't trust the English on how to pronounce stuff, especially oh, yeah. if it's French. Oh, no. Well, they also, say fillet of fish instead of fillet of fish. Also, too, in England, it depends on like where you went to school, what kind of accent yeah. you put on. It's like, ugh. Well, of course, there's the incredibly fake, you know, BBC narrator, um, received. received pronunciation, you know, and then you have uh, someone like, oh, what's her name? Shaun of the Dead and um, Lucy Sabrina Davis. The Teen- yeah, Lucy Davis. Uh, who has the the West Midlands accent? Bless her heart, which is just very charming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just want to hug her every time I hear her talk. And then, of course, you have Geordie, which is just god awful. <laughs> I, I I really want to go to Newcastle, but I just don't know that I could stand that accent all the time. Well, yeah. Then when you go down to Cornwall, you get talking like a pirate. <laughs> I know that was a terrible Cornwall accent. I'm sorry, guys. If anyone from Cornwall is listening, I still love Cornwall because that's like the one place in England that I really, really want to go because it is beautiful. It is beyond beautiful. That's fair. That's and they fair. apparently don't like the rest of England very much, which is interesting. I mean, that's cool. There's like signs saying no English. <laughs> like, wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. So, Eden, you have a paranormal story for me? Yes, I do. So... We are going to take a trip to Weston, West Virginia today, which is in Lewis County. It has a population of 4,110 people and is oddly enough only two square miles, which seemed kind of small to me. So I looked up my city's population versus square miles, and we have a population of around 27,000, and we're roughly only five square miles. So everything I thought I knew about how big a square mile is has just gone out the window now. (laughs) Mind blown. Anyway, it's home to Lambert's Vintage Wine. I keep finding wineries when talking about things to do in West Virginia. Maybe everyone there is a lush. I'm not sure. I don't know. West Virginians, write in and tell us how you feel about wine, I guess. It's also home to a vodka, whiskey, and moonshine distillery called Man Cave Distilling. Wow. This isn't swaying my previous lush comment very much at all, West Virginia, just so you know. Man Cave Moonshine. That's yep. like, oof. Exactly. Man Cave Moonshine must be pretty damn strong. Um, One non-alcoholic place that I found here is the Museum of American Glass, which looks pretty cool. It seems to have pretty much everything imaginable related to glass. So I guess this is where you'll go if you have to find a vessel for your wine, whiskey, vodka, and moonshine. (laughs) However, there is one place that trumps every other place in Weston. This is the story of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Ooh. Doing a big one here. Trans-Allegheny sounds very Transylvanian. Do you know how fun it was to have to type that? Allegheny (laughs) is an annoying word to spell. And I mean, we have Allegheny County here in Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. but it's all the way on the other side. So we don't think about it much. No. Anyway, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was first authorized in the 1850s by the Virginia General Assembly. It was designed in the Gothic and Tudor styles and is quite impressive to look at and was designed by a man from Maryland named Richard Snowden Andrews, who also designed the U.S. Treasury Building and the Maryland Governor's Residence. Okay. The building is situated near the West Fork River. Construction on the building began in 1858 and was initially done through prison laborers, but professionals were later sent in from Ireland and Germany to finish the job. In one of the several strange parallels from my last paranormal story, construction of the building was halted for a while 
due to civil war in 1861. Makes sense. You need the men and the resources. Exactly. Now, if you know your American history, what also happened in 1861, do you know? West Virginia became its own thing, seceding from Virginia and siding with the North. Oh. Since the construction was stopped and Virginia was probably butthurt, the state of Virginia wanted its money back and ordered the funds to go to its defense. But before that could happen, the funds were taken by the 7th Ohio Volunteer Infantry and delivered to Wheeling, West Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) Sorry, Virginia. Yeah, exactly. It was actually... um, put toward the reorganized government of Virginia who decided to start the construction back up in 1862. Gotcha. In 1863, when West Virginia officially became a state, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum started going by a much less scary-sounding name, sort of. The West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. It's a little better. A little better. I mean, yeah, not being like, you're not a lunatic, but you are insane. Exactly. Beggars can't be choosers. Come on. (laughs) A little better. I'm trying to be positive, you know. Various points of construction were completed at different times, such as the central clock tower being finished in 1871, and because we're still in the South in the 1800s, separate rooms for black people in 1871. Yeah, not the greatest thing in the world, but... Separate but still crazy? I guess, that's, yeah. Mm. While the first patients arrived in October of 1864, the construction went until 1881. A long time. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that's another parallel from my last paranormal story. Yeah. Where it was like, well, people are showing up, but we're still building. So (laughs) let's just deal with it. The grounds had a lot going on as well. There was a farm. There was a dairy, a waterworks. And because it wasn't creepy enough with that one, a cemetery. This place was fully self-sustaining, even in death. Wow. In total with the grounds, the place is, and yes, the irony does not escape me, 666 acres. (laughs) That's your first mistake, Weston. If you didn't want a haunting, all you had to do was add another acre or take one away. It's not that much to ask for, honestly. Really not. Going into the 1900s, I guess they wanted to make this place even more self-sustaining and drilled a gas well on the grounds in 1902 as well. Its name changed again in 1913 to the Weston State Hospital, but it will always be the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in our hearts, as well as the hearts of the creeptastic specters that call it home. As I finished that sentence, I thought I'd note that I just made it to 666 words. (laughs) I'll be lucky if I don't get possessed by the end of this. Fun fact. This place is the largest hand-cut stone mason building in the United States and all of North America and second largest in the world with the first being the Kremlin. Holy crap. Yeah. When it was built, it was done in such a way that assured each wing would have plenty of quote unquote therapeutic sunlight and fresh air. Mm-hmm. It was initially made to house 250 people, which you think would be enough, right? Nope. Not by a long shot. In another parallel to my last haunted place, it was severely overpopulated. And it didn't even take that long to get that way. So it opened for business. Oh, I mean, healing and love and care. In 1864, by 1880, it already had 717 patients. Wow. By 1938, it had 1,661, more than 1,800 in 1949. And in the 50s, it housed an astounding 2,600. 
It's like a small city. That's more than 10 times what the building was meant to hold. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, wait. (laughs) I I got what you did there. I see it. A group of North American medical organizations did a survey on the hospital and said it housed, quote, epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives, end quote. I don't know what non-educable mental defectives means. Sounds like they weren't able to be educated. Yeah, or they couldn't be, like, like mainstreamed or... Something like that. I had never heard the word educable before in my life. Mm. But there we go. It's there. Oh, the golden years of mental health, you know, with all this shit. <laughs> Wonderful. I also found a list of reasons people ended up there. You ready? Hit me. Okay. And again, before I say this, I will say, oh, the golden years of mental health. Asthma. Epilepsy. Of course. Because we love our epileptics. Why are you then. shaking so much? Is that the demons? Yeah, right. <laughs> Rabies. What? <sighs> Tuberculosis, because they couldn't have their own ward for that. Vicious vices in early life. So masturbators. Probably. Seduction. What? Egotism. Zach better watch himself. Uh, <laughs> Zach Morris is trash. <laughs> Not Zach Morris. I was talking about Zach Baggins. Oh, Zach Baggins is trash. <laughs> Bad whiskey. What? Indigestion. Doubt about your mother's ancestors. Okay. Loss of arm. Menopause. Uh, oh, the change. Menstrual derangement. That's really bad PMS, right? Yeah, I think I think that's what that is. <laughs> Childbirth. Because, you know. What? No, that's a natural thing. <laughs> you'd be crazy to let a living thing pass through your vagina. I understand. Um, disappointed love. Mm. Who hasn't been there? Death of son in war. Domestic trouble. Laziness. Reading too much. Oh, my God. Masturbation. So apparently the first one wasn't masturbation. Oh. Uh, fits and desertion of husband. So basically it was a place where you could send anybody that you had a problem with. If you yep. could get somebody to say, yeah, they're crazy. Well, did did you watch American Horror Story Asylum? It's pretty much like that. Yeah, yeah. I also recently uh, was listening to another podcast. And it was about Dolly Parton. And there's this like one period where she tells this really heartbreaking story like that inspired one of her earlier songs. Okay. And I guess like a relative, and this is something that happened pretty commonly in the South and other parts of the country during like the turn of the century. Mm. If your husband didn't want to get rid of you, but didn't want to divorce you, he would just ship you off to a mental hospital. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's nuts. Nuts. And that sounds like a lot of these patients. Yeah. Did we talk about Dolly Parton on here before? I'm sure we have. We may have. Dolly, if you're listening, I doubt you are, but I would love for you to listen. <laughs> you're awesome. Love you. Even though I can't stand country music, but I like yours. Right? When you're like, if we're like, oh, I like Dolly Parton. Like, so you like country music? I'm like, I nope. believe I said I like Dolly Parton. Yeah, I like very few country <laughs> artists. Thank you very much. And most of them are like older country. I like mm-hmm. Patsy Cline. I like Johnny Cash. You know. Crossover country. Yeah. So I also found... From the same source, a list of therapeutic treatments, much of which are barbaric, but quite common for the time. Ugh, speaking of American Horror Story Asylum. Ice water baths. Ugh. That was big up until I think the 70s they were still doing yeah. that. Uh, Bloodletting. Got to get that bad blood out. That's what's causing all your problems. I mean, Always. leeches were like the big cure in the Middle Ages. So insulin coma therapy was another one. Coma therapy. That's when they would shoot you full of like insulin. insulin drop get- your blood sugar so low. Ugh. 
and you'd just be in a fucking coma. Yeah. That was also like a beauty treatment at certain points well, throughout yeah, the they, 20th century yeah, too. Yeah, they had like these like sleep clinics where you would sleep the weight off. You yeah, would like just be in a coma. Yeah, you would be in a coma and lose all this weight because you're not fucking eating and you're just having intravenous feeding. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, confinement cribs and ECT were the other two. Oof. This hell hell. Oops. I mean to say that it's a wonderful place of professionalism and therapeutic bliss. Had, according to the Charleston Gazette, not enough furniture, not enough lighting, little in the way of heat, and the place wasn't very sanitary either. Surprise. Yeah. You're at 10 times your capacity. Yeah, exactly. So one wing, however, was actually hailed as being in decent shape, but that's only because it was rebuilt after a fire in 1935 that was started by one of the patients. He probably did it just so they could make the wing better. Mm. So go you. Um, Yeah. Hey, Nicole, ever hear of a little thing called a lobotomy? I have, Eden. Well, this place was famous for them. Really? In the 1930s or so, they were kind of this new bit of technology and were hailed as this amazing cure for all sorts of mental illnesses. Basically, they would take something like an ice pick, which was called an orbitoclast, and just chisel away at that pesky frontal lobe through the eye socket and bam, you're cured. The reason it's called an orbitoclast is because this type of lobotomy was called a transorbital lobotomy, orbits being the eye sockets in anatomy. Mm. What they were really doing was essentially turning parts of your brain to mush. Awesome. While this procedure did help some people, it also completely ruined others. I actually had the privilege to meet someone who had had a lobotomy once when I was still working in mental health, and she was actually living her best life. Things went smoothly for her, and she swore by the treatment. But I feel like that's like a more unlikely. Absolutely, because you're. I mean, there's that. You know, people don't say it's rocket science; it's brain surgery for nothing. Because it's the idea that you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, it might work, but you're still kind of like shooting in the dark. You're basically. fucking around with what controls your entire body. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a big deal. But she she loved it. She yeah. was very happy with the. I'm happy lobotomy. that worked out for her. Which is just so weird because I remember when I told Joe about that, he was like, oh, you did not meet someone with a lobotomy. Those stopped happening back then. I'm like, well, no, she they, was an older woman. They continued and, yeah. like well into like the 1970s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The 70s were still shit for mental health. They were just nuts. Um, No pun intended. Anyway, I digress. So the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was at the forefront of this technology, and West Virginia actually has the largest number of people in the U.S. to receive lobotomies, totaling somewhere around 900. Wow. In the early 1950s, the place actually became home to the West Virginia Lobotomy Project. Sounds like a great place to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this place was one of four hospitals in the state to do this. It was all because of a doctor named Walter Freeman who actually came up with this new form of lobotomies, the... Um, Transorbital ones? Yeah, correct. And just to give this that little something extra, sometimes he would do the procedure without a neurosurgeon present. Yep. He did actually do a decent amount for the study of mental health, however, and his heart was in the right place. He was also the co-founder and president of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology for two years in the 40s. Interesting. Anyway, the whole point of this project was to alleviate the problem 
with overcrowding in the hospitals in the state, but especially this one. Patients came in, had their frontal lobes poked and prodded, and they were sent on their merry way from what I could gather. So it was just like, here, have fun with that, you know, pesky frontal lobe gone. Um, have fun. Yeah, it's like, this should calm you down. Yeah, exactly. However, by the 60s, people started realizing this procedure was a lot more trouble than it was worth, and it was actually quite barbaric. Freeman performed his last surgery in 1967 and was actually banned from operating after this. Yikes. In the 80s, we ended up knowing a bit more about the human brain and psychology in general, and they were able to get the population in the hospital knocked down a bit. But don't think this was the end of this place's bizarre and macabre saga because it's not over yet, kids. Things got pretty bad because they still had a lot of patients who were violent and aggressive. And at this point, they began locking these prisoners. Oh, I mean patients. In cages. What? Yes, I said cages. They were like like the tigers in Joe Exotic Zoo. Oh, God. But they did not get to feast on any husbands of, uh, <laughs> of people. And yeah, that never gets old. You're going to hear that a lot. <laughs> in 1986, the governor of West Virginia decided he wanted to open up a new hospital for these patients and turn the hospital into what it seemed to have already become, a prison. So, yeah. Just so he just everyone. like leaned into it. He's like, you know, we already, we have, already the have the cages. So <laughs> let's just, you know. Why not try it out? See what comes of it. Throw stuff at a wall. Eventually it sticks. You like, know? you know what's cheaper than medical staff? Prison guards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This never happened, though, as far as I could find. And they eventually just shut the place down in 1994. Finally. They did build that other hospital, though. It's called the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital. And from what it looks like online it's still open today i didn't really bother to look into it beyond that though so i know nothing about it that's fair i think we need a little comic relief right now don't you nicole yes please so be funny just kidding i have stuff to tell you you oh, don't thank need to be god funny. so much pressure i know i can't take the pressure <laughs> firstly after closing this place has hosted local fairs and church revivals for some weird reason I couldn't really find out why, but it's happened. Okay. It seems like, yeah, it's a place to have joyous celebration. Yeah. mm. The next thing you're going to tell me, they host weddings there. No, that hasn't, at least that I found hasn't happened. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past people. I'm getting married at the asylum. Yes. Um, So other things that they had planned on doing with this building included a few museums and turning it into a hotel and golf course. You know what? Because who doesn't want to stay at the asylum? There is like a couple of properties that I've heard about. Like there's one in upstate New York that was a mental asylum that they renovated and turned into first um, like a resort, like like yeah. something like that. But then eventually just turned it into condos. Huh. And it's a gorgeous building like a lot of those old buildings there. are. But yeah, like who wants to live there? It's, it's like the haunted. views are you gorgeous. You know it's going to be haunted. The walls are so thick it stays cool in the summertime. <laughs> like, ooh. Because they're padded. Like, <laughs> girl. So all that weird stuff happened. Here's the weirdest. I learned about probably the best thing ever from 1999. And I'm not talking about that Will Smith Willennium album. <laughs> so... All four of the hospital's floors were severely damaged in 1999 because some police officers decided it would be an amazing place to play paintball. 
Really? I'm not even kidding. This really happened. I don't know the exact number of officers involved, but I do know three of them got fired. The first sentence of the article I read said, quote, Site of planned museum, trashed beyond belief in paintball games. End quote. Seriously, <laughs> cops? This is why we can't have nice things. Oh, my goodness. This paint was all over the doors and windows on every floor, the lights, the window frames. Everything was just covered in paint when they found it. Even this mural that used to be in the building was covered in nasty, oily paint. Mind you, this this place is protected under the National Register of Historic Places as well. Oh, wow. And um, remember when I said, don't ask questions and sent you that photo? Mm-hmm. That's what that photo was. Okay. That door was covered in paintball paint. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Now, like I said before, I don't know the exact number, but there were at least 20 police officers responsible for this. I really don't know why only three were fired in that case, but there were at least 20. Mm. They apparently found out about the incident because they received an anonymous tip from someone. The article was actually pretty funny and went on to say that the incident, quote, left the people of Weston seeing red and green and white and splotches of pink, end quote. (laughs) That is awesome and sounds like something that I would write. The author was Cindy Lash, and I plan on being her best friend now. So hopefully you're listening, Cindy, because we're going to be friends. <laughs> what made this event even worse was that not two weeks earlier, the governor announced that they were going to turn the hospital into a Civil War museum. That can't happen now because it's fucked up. Whoops. Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program now that we're done with the laugh portion. So after all this... The building housed three museums, one for military history, one for toys, and one for mental health, which that one seems fitting at least. Toys? I guess if you got depressed seeing the mental health one and the military one, you could go play with toys after? I don't know. Weird. However, these things didn't pan out either, and they had to all close as well because it was in violation of fire codes. Okay. That's just... Wow. Wow. Like, isn't that something you would check like straight up right I before think you bring you all your should, exhibits before in? you do everything and pay all that money just to be shut down oh my goodness gracious so a man named joe exotic i mean joe jordan <laughs> who was from morgantown who we talked about last week uh brought uh, he bought this place at auction for 1.5 million in 2007 wow Today, there is a museum dedicated to its past as well as tours, some of which being ghost tours, and they kind of go all out for this, so it's pretty cool. The tour guides dress up as old-timey nurses, like they have like the the big hats and the other outfits. Uh, You can see poems and artwork from some of the patients on the tours, and there are different tours depending on what you're into. You can go on one that's just the first floor. Or you can go on the big one, which will show you all the floors. As far as ghost tours go, they all start after the sun goes down, and they do have overnights here as well. I know that's your favorite, Nicole. Uh, It'll be my anniversary present to you once we've been doing this for a year. Awesome. We're about to get into the ghostly happenings, but first I want to tell you that this place is is featured in a video game, which I thought was pretty cool until I found out which video game it was. Really? Because I'll probably never play it. It's the Brotherhood of Steel Fort in Fallout 76, which is the online one. So I've heard terrible Uh... things. I'm not going to try it out. Listeners, if you want to change my mind on that, 
if you've played Fallout 76 and you think it's awesome, please tell me. Maybe I'll play with you. I don't know because everything that I've read about it has been crap. So try to convince me otherwise. I'm that meme on Facebook. Prove me wrong. (laughs) Okay, ghost time. This place has been featured on a lot of paranormal TV shows, such as something called Portals to Hell, which I very much intend to check out. Ghost Stories did it. Ghost Hunters did it. Our friend Zach was there as well, since it was featured on Ghost Adventures. Uh, There's probably more, but that's what I found. So let's start with something tame, although this has made people working there quit. You can sometimes hear the sound of hospital bed wheels rolling down the halls. Uh, That's just the right amount of creepy. Exactly. Just the right amount of creepy. I'm starting you off slow. I'm easing you into it. All right. Like a good lover. (laughs) (laughs) That was creepy. Like a good lover. Squeak, squeak, squeak. I I creep myself out. Um, Doors open and close on their own. People report being watched. Uh, Objects also get thrown or moved around on their own. Nope. People have heard banging coming from somewhere in the distance. People have also reported disembodied laughter throughout the building. Nope. Not just normal laughter either, but this crazed hysterical laughter. Mm. Makes me want to open a comedy club there. At least I know someone will laugh then. (laughs) But no. People have seen apparitions. Yeah, but if people aren't funny, then they get things thrown at them. That's also true. I mean, but that would happen in a normal comedy club too. So it's not really that much of a difference. Fair. Win some, you lose some, you know. People have also seen apparitions walking through the walls. That's probably a residual haunting thing since they're taking the paths they knew in life. A lot of people have reported seeing a glowing ball of light that moves up and down in the hallways. Mm. Yeah, a little weird. Phantom dragging sounds can also oh. be heard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. Mm-mm. Shadow people have been seen yet again. Fantastic. Because they're our favorite. Uh, there's a ghost on the first floor named Ruth who really doesn't like men and will throw things at male guests in the hospital. In Ward 2, some bad shit went down. Uh, two patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from curtain rods. And another patient was stabbed 17 times by another patient oh, who died. Uh, in that area, they've gotten an EVP recording saying, get out. Oh. There's a room on the third floor where another murder took place. Two patients tried to hang another patient, and he just wouldn't die. So they bludgeoned him to death when they lost their patients. He's said to still haunt the room. Nothing's worse than impatient patients. Exactly. Impatient patients. Hashtag that someone, please. <laughs> There's a ghost named Big Jim who haunts the third floor with the ghost of a nurse named Elizabeth who still goes about her rounds. The only thing I've found out about Big Jim is that he's very chatty on EVP. I, like, Googled everywhere for Big Jim, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Nothing. I barely found anything about the nurse either, so. Hmm. Warning. Big nope time. This one made me not want to sleep. There's an entity called the Creeper, who is said to be seen crawling across the floors. Ah! No, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. no. Uh Uh-uh. That one really got me, and no. How fucking scary is that like yeah. you're on a tour and you're like what is that and you're like oh uh, like for me i'd be like oh, oh it's just the creeper it's ah! i'm pretty sure it's like a full-on human doing like mm-hmm. a backwards crab walk mm-hmm. reagan style no yeah no 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 it seems creepy and if anyone has pictures of the creeper i'd i'd hate love to see <sighs> that's not even a nope that's a straight up no, no never in my life <laughs> no 
On the fourth floor, there's the spirit of the soldier whose name is Jacob. I don't know anything more about him, but there's apparently a lot of like war ghosts. Okay. Like Civil War ghosts? Okay. There's also the ghost of a murderer here, apparently, and his name is Slewfoot. Slewfoot. Maybe he only would slay feet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but he was stabbed to death in one of the bathrooms there and still haunts the building. There's another murderer who haunts the seclusion cells, but I don't know his name. There's another spirit named Jesse who died in one of the bathtubs from a heart attack, and I don't know much about him either. People have also reported in some of the rooms just feeling completely terrified, even if nothing is going on. And when they leave that room, they're fine again. Weird. There was also a doctor that said a ghost followed her home from the hospital one night, and she's still haunted by the spirit to this day. Nope. Nope. Yeah, no. Exactly. Nope. I tried to find the story, but I came up empty-handed on that one. I could not find it anywhere. All that was said on several articles was just that. People have also reported being touched and scratched. Also our faves, Mm -hmm. you know. There's lots of disembodied voices. People have gotten a ton of hits on EVP, thermal readings, and other such ghost hunting tools. While this isn't a haunting per se, a lot of people end up fainting on on these tours. There's this black blob that has been seen... And when asked what it was, it responded on the spirit box with the word demon. No. No. This place is starting to sound like a fucking portal to hell. Exactly. It's very scary. I I, I would like to go, but I would not like to go at the same time. I, I don't want to go here. <laughs> I do not want to go to there. There's one ghost. People bring cigarettes for this one ghost as a gift to coax him out and have him talk to them. They just bring cigarettes. Interesting. Yeah. There's a super famous ghost here named Lily. She's this little girl, somewhere around nine years old, and she wears a white dress. People say that she was born in the hospital and she ended up dying there of pneumonia. She will talk to guests. I'm not sure whether they meant like full-on talk or through EVP, but Mm -hmm. one or the other, or both, who knows. She will also roll a ball back and forth with people, which is pretty normal for a child ghost in places. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think a lot. Eddie was talking about that or E. Massey when yeah. Yeah, he was on. Uh, I've definitely heard that before, though. She giggles a lot, which people describe as equal parts cute and shit your pants level creepy. <laughs> she also interacts with a music box that she likes to play. Not at all creepy there. Mm-mm. And she will turn on and off flashlights. That would be interesting to see if she would interact with like a boo bear or a boo bunny. Oh, yeah. Because that again, E. Massey told us about yeah. those too. I didn't know they existed. Did I, you? No, I didn't. And they've like been stuck in my head. I know. I kind of want one. I really, really want one. <laughs> you know, after this, I'll probably look them up and, you know, see how much they are and probably not order them because I don't have a lot of money. So there's the ghost of a patient named Fred who is said to show himself mostly to women and particularly prefers blondes, just like that Marilyn Monroe movie. Oh, thank God. Like Marilyn Manson music video you thought I was going to say? <laughs> uh, but no, he's like a total like ladies man. And he just wants to touch up on the ladies. So Cool. Yeah, right? Pervy ghost. Time is up even for ghosts. There is still probably more ghosts than I've mentioned, but this is what I could find. And it took a surprising amount of digging. I'm seriously glad I now know about the find on page feature on the iPhone because it saves my life 
and I don't have to use my laptop for research and I can just stay in the Word document now instead of having to go from the browser to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the story of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I have to say this might be the scariest place we've come across yet. I really don't like the creeper. What do you think? Uh, okay, there's the creeper, which is like, what the fuck? And then there's the yeah. blob. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. I've dealt with a blob-like entity before in my life. I would not no. want to deal with one again. No. And uh-uh. that shit lived in my closet. Sign up for our Patreon once we have it up, and you will hear that story, I guarantee you. Ugh. Yeah, I think there's been some places that we've been like, oh, that'd be cool to go there. It'd be interesting. This place is not someplace I want to go. It just seems like a place of misery and evil. And I still want to go, but I don't want to go. It's hard for me to differentiate between my, this sounds really crazy, I want to go and see, with my, holy shit, there's a lot of bad shit, I could get killed. Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, you know that, oh, what is it, like, when um, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back? Yes. That's what this place sounds like to me. I'm oh, like, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. This place is very scary. Mm-mm. It has some okay ghosts, but then it has a lot of, a lot of negative ones. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have room for that negativity in my life. But remember, I'm buying you overnight passes. That's so sweet. If you <laughs> sign up for our Patreon, you too can have Nicole's overnight passes because she ain't going <laughs> to use them. <laughs> My sources for this week were Wikipedia, as always, our star player, wvencyclopedia.org, allthatsinteresting.com, transalleghenylunaticasylum.com, so if you can type that one out, good for you, psychcentral.com, old.post-gazette.com, washingtonian.com, thoughtcatalog.com, nytimes.com, terryreed.com, TripAdvisor.com, LegendOfAmerica.com, Amy'sCrypt.com, and HauntedPlaces.Blogspot.com. You did have a lot of resources. Yeah, we both did this week. I guess that's it for our show. Hopefully you have now shat your pants and will never sleep again. Because <laughs> that is our goal each and every week here on the show, to make you terrified and never want to listen. It's our contribution to <laughs> making you so terrified you don't leave your house. Everybody Hashtag flatten the curve. agoraphobic. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, guess what? If you are, it's perfect time for you because no one's leaving their house right now. Mm-hmm. So you are now in vogue. And if you haven't watched Tiger King, now is your time. Get mm-hmm. on it, people. You'll understand. <laughs> All right, Roasters, if you want to get in touch with us, tell us what you think about our stories today or about the Tech King. Or about Carol. <laughs> or your personal opinions about Ta- Carol stop. Baskin. You really can't. It's kind of hilarious. Um, you can reach us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com or visit our many social media presence places, things we do. We sometimes post. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> on Facebook or Instagram, we are Roadside Horror Show. On Twitter, we are Roadside Horror. You can go to our website. Did you mention you didn't mention that yet? I right? didn't mention that. Okay, good. <laughs> I wasn't listening. I never listen when Nicole speaks. Um, so you can go to our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. We'd also like to thank E. Massey for our intro and outro music. And we'd like to thank Yox Rocks Designs for our awesome logo. Until next time, Roasters. Creep, creep on, on, creeping on. on.